sexy. Miami. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to be here too. Although I can't tell, is it, that's a cloud. Yeah, I was thinking, I was was wondering if the window might be tinted. No, it's about to rain. I thought you told me it wasn't going to rain. It'll last no, a few I, minutes. Yeah, I said it was going to. The weather app said thunderstorms all day, every day for like the foreseeable future. I landed and you landed and it was sunny and beautiful. Yeah, but you got now, my hopes up. I know. Well, we're not doing this poolside, so we'll be okay. Is that possible, Michael? Uh, poolside? We could do it on that carnival. Is that a carnival cruise line? <laughs> Disney cruise. Sponsoring. Disney cruise. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know if I'd ever do a cruise. Have you have you guys ever done a cruise? Negative. Yeah, it's uh, never. It's the most fun you never want to have again. The only thing, every time I think of a cruise, I think of these poor people who are stranded on their on the boat in the middle of the water and like the toilets are overflowing. Ooh, yeah. does that I, happen? Yeah, it happens all. It seems like it was happening all the time for a little while. Oh. I met with a funder. You know, you, you have to raise a lot of money for. So I met with a funder, and we were talking about cruises, and I said, you know, the, there's this craziest thing. It's a Backstreet Boys cruise. And what it is is all these middle-aged women pay like thousands of dollars to be locked on a cruise ship with the five Backstreet Boys oh all week. God. They perform every night. Oh, they have more. They have enough saying, songs for that, right? So uh, I'm explaining. So I'm explaining I what this they is. Had one song. Her face. She's like smiling gently, and then she goes, uh, "I've been on three of them. No, three of them. She'd been to." 140 Backstreet Boys shows. So I had to like very quickly. She has tattoos of all the names. I, I oh my God. Started, I'm like, yeah, I, I also want it that way. And uh, <laughs> dropping as much. <laughs> I was trying to redeem myself. But it was uh, it was as devastating a thing you could do in a meeting with a donor. Backstreet's uh, back, all right. <laughs> 140. She's single-handedly keeping them afloat. Yeah. <laughs> so don't worry, folks. The Electables hasn't become a Backstreet Boys podcast. Um, but we are down in Miami and I have a special co-host, a former, uh, guest on the show, uh, award winning, <laughs> NABJ award winning journalist from Axios, Alexi McCannman. Hi. How you doing, Alexi? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. This is fun. So my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, um, unfortunately could not come down for this trip, and we both couldn't think of anyone better to fill her shoes. But Lexi, uh, she was on probably a month or two ago, um, yeah. and, um, and she's obviously covering the 2020 race and the White House and just a whole bunch of things, and she's one of the best reporters out there. She's on TV all the time. I always joke with her when I call her. I wonder if she's I, – I'm, I'm hoping I can catch her on the set. Right of um of Nicole Wallace's show, but um, Lexi, before we bring in our two special guests, and by the way, we are down here for the Young Elected Officials Conference, uh, which is a gathering of uh, young elected officials from around the country, uh, thirty five and under, I believe, and uh, they're meeting here in Miami. An amazing group of folks uh, who are um, the rising stars within the Progressive Party. And these are folks that you just, I mean, you know, we're going to have a number of them on. And uh, just don't be surprised if in two, four, six years, they are governors or senators or congresspeople. So we're delighted to be here. Uh, and before we bring in a, our first couple guests, I just wanted to start with you, Lexi. The debates. We yes. had two big debates. Uh, we're now 24 hours away from the last one. What is your sense of uh, who came out on top? 
Well, I do want to say that I think when I was on the electables, my first and only time during the lightning round, I brought up Marianne Williamson. Oh, you did. You said and she I was think a dark horse. She crushed it. Marianne Williamson. <laughs> Are you was doing on- that to justify what you said two <laughs> yeah, months ago? Yeah, exactly. She was on TV like all day the day after the debate. When have you ever seen Marianne Williamson on primetime television on CNN or MSNBC? Never? Never. Exactly. She did way better than I think anyone thought she was going to do. Yes, I don't I don't I'm not endorsing Marianne Williamson for president. Of course not. But I think her energy speaks to my energy and speaks to a lot of energy within folks that is the exact opposite energy of Donald Trump, which is light or nothing on policy and fully leaning into feelings. His feeling that he leaned into was hate and anger. Hers is the exact opposite of peace and love. I don't think she's going to be the nominee. But I think, again, the fact that she was on TV all day long the next day, that is insane. Okay. That's insane. I I think she did a good job. And she obviously, look, the name of the game here is earned media, right? Right. When you're not on TV. And if you need to qualify for the next debates, how do you get fundraising you know, if absolutely. You're on TV. And the next debates are coming up in September. They're in Houston. You, yeah. The criteria has changed. The you now need to uh, have one hundred thirty thousand donors, and you have to be two percent in three different polls. Yep. Uh, and I think right now we have eight people who've qualified. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, I think, just qualified. Yep. That's right. Um, and you know, so the next, and they, I think the the deadline is the end of August. So yeah, this 20. debate was incredibly important. I actually think this debate was more important for the Klobuchar's of the world, um, for the Gillibrands of the world, for the mm-hmm. Delaney's of the world, than Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren right. and Biden. Because quite frankly, if you're not on that stage in Houston. You can basically kiss good kiss your campaign goodbye. Yeah, this was a do or die moment for a lot of those people you just mentioned. But I don't think John Delaney did himself any favors in terms of qualifying for the next debate on the debate stage. I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel the same way with Beto or Rourke. I feel like he I talked to his campaign a lot leading up to this debate and they said this was the moment for him to restart his campaign. You know, as we know, once again, we've seen the different iterations of the Beto O'Rourke campaign after he was a Senate candidate, and he's tried these different moments to be a sort of restart moment. This second debate, his campaign was fully going into it, telling me that he was ready to get back to the candidate who had courage in his convictions and in his beliefs. Yeah, but what are they going to (laughs) say? I mean, I mean, I know getting, that's what they were getting telling you, back but. to the candidate. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't. clearly suggests that they recognize he has had a departure from yeah. who he was during the 2018 Senate race. And that is not something that I would want to admit as a campaign. That's true. They also, you know, said that they wanted to make it such that he was more comfortable on a national stage in front of a live audience on TV as he is doing these sort of retail politics stops in Iowa and other places, you know, when he's jumping up on the countertop talking to people. They admitted as much, right? And I, again, like I've never run a campaign, but I don't think I would be telling folks that he's going to, you know, we need him to be more comfortable in these settings than he is. If you're running for president, you shouldn't admit things like that. As a retail politician, Beto O'Rourke's really good. Yeah. You watch him in front of crowds. You know, he made his name, his breakout moment in his campaign against um, Ted Cruz was when he was asked about NFL players kneeling. That's and this right. was not a staged event. It wasn't a staged question. It was at a town hall and he was asked about it. And he gave a very eloquent, very gutsy answer. And uh, it took off. You know, right. it took off across social media. It sort of became a viral moment. And uh, from there on, he was a star. That's and right. he, ra- he ended up raising, I don't know, $30 million in one quarter. Yeah. So, okay. So I want to bring our guests in. 
And um, I'm going to start with uh, both of them are I, I feel a deep personal connection to, but for different reasons. The first one is the mayor of Ithaca, uh, Savante Myrick. And Savante, he has been mayor for eight years, and he's only 32. So he was elected when he was 24 years old. And the reason why uh, Mayor Myrick is important uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, but personally to me, is because I spent a lot of time in Ithaca, New York. I went to Cornell University, and so and so did he. Uh, so uh, And I was just back up there uh, a few weeks ago. So... Um, that place meant a lot, means a lot to me, and it's. I'm just honored to have you on the Electable Show. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me. <clears throat> I really appreciate it, and we love having you back in Ithaca. Yeah, you man. I, maybe I'll move there. Ooh. And as then, as, you, as long as you register to vote. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, our second guest, another another uh, tie to uh, Doug Thornell, is uh, the City Council President of Baltimore, Brandon Scott, and. Uh, uh, I grew up in Maryland. I spent uh, spent a lot of time in Baltimore. Was a big Baltimore Orioles fan. Still, I am, uh, except they aren't that good. Uh, and I also worked for Elijah Cummings, someone who means a lot to both um, Brandon and I. And so, uh, Brandon, welcome to the Electables. Honored to have you. Honored to be on the Electables, and you will not be moving to Ithaca. You know we have great elections coming up in Maryland. We need you voting in Maryland. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm never going to give that that registration card up. So I'm going to start with you, Mr. City Council President. How'd you get get into politics? It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do with my life, and serving my city is the reason why I was created and put on this earth. So, long story short, I went to college knowing that this is what I wanted to do. I came back home. I was running mentoring programs for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Maryland, and then I we had a lightning rod moment in our in our state. Our mayor, uh, then Mayor Mayor O'Malley became governor, and then we were able to see our city council president become mayor, and my council person became uh, city council president. I applied for a vacancy. On the council, didn't get it, uh, was, was was hired as staff for then city council president Rawlins Blake. I worked for her as council president and mayor before running for office on my own right in 2011 uh, to be serving the second district of the city council. And I've been council president since May 6th of this year. Mr. Mayor, how'd you get your start? Start, yeah. Um, I, uh, like Brandon, I I always wanted to do this. I always wanted to serve. You know, I was... Uh, raised, I spent the first six months of my life in a homeless shelter and the first eight years of my life in and out of homelessness. And the role of government, a civil society, our church, our family always fascinated me. And the first campaign I remember being involved with was uh, I went around my village, 800 people in my village of Earlville, New York. And I I stole every Bob Dole yard sign I could find <laughs> and I hid them in my garage. And when my mom found out, she's furious and she made me put them all back. Uh, and I was, what was that? So I was nine years old. Uh, but I was already reading about, you know, efforts to cut food stamps or make it harder for kids to get free lunch in school. And I knew that that was uh, the wrong way to invest in human capital. You know, I saw the investments that were made in my brothers and my little sister and myself. And uh, I knew that I wanted to do something. So I went to school and I actually intended to study journalism. I wanted to to be like Nicholas Kristoff and change the world with my pen and um, Lexi McCammon. Yes, be like <laughs> yeah, Lexi. Thanks, Doug. Uh, and I found that I was not—I uh, was no Lexi. 
And I was no, I was <laughs> no, no one is though. Yeah, so. sure that's a, I was no Nicholas either. But a couple things happened. First, um, there was a young black guy in Illinois who was shaking up the world and rewriting what it looked like to be a politician. Because as a kid, I thought, okay, well, the people who run for office are people with names like William Jefferson Clinton or George Herbert Walker Bush. And here comes Barack Hussein Obama, you know, mixed kid with a funny name and big ears and uh, from a modest background who is sweeping his way to the Illinois Senate. I remember being 16 and reading that even Mike Ditka was afraid to challenge him. And I thought, Ditka? Ditka is God. If Ditka can't even beat this guy. So uh, I started thinking differently about maybe I can do more than just cover politics. Maybe I can be in it. And I met a second uh, young black man named Gayrod Townsend, somebody who had been elected to the city council in Ithaca when he was 19 years old. And he was a sort of a legend on campus. Uh, also, it turned out, a uh, legend in his own mind. Uh, Gayrod's here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Who, the, the man, the, lift, the myth, the legend. That's exactly. right. Well, we, know, we all knew about him, and he, he called me one day. You know, I was trying to make uh, a difference in the city. I was also working with young people, and he called and said, listen, I've heard about you. Maybe we could work together. And he hired me for an internship and then eventually encouraged me to run for office. He said, if, if you love this city, if you want to change it, if you want to make sure that there are no kids who are being born into homelessness and poverty like you were, if you want to make sure that we have a more equitable city that people can climb and thrive and survive, uh, you got to get off the sidelines and you have to actually try and make it happen. So I had mentors and role models from near and afar who, uh, who encouraged me to, to actually do the thing. Um, you both have very clear answers as to what got you into politics. I'm imagining you've both been paying attention to the 2020 race a little bit. Who do you think doesn't have a clear enough answer about why they're running for president? The honest answer. <laughs> <laughs> and we should say both of you guys are unaligned, right? Or, that's right. Yes. That's right. No, I, I no, am. So they are still being up for grabs, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, many people think that since Senator Harris's office is in Baltimore that we've all, no. I am anyone listening, please come talk to me. Free agent. But be prepared to talk about issues. I think that in my in on my honest opinion, knowing that we're up, what we're up against, no one has the answer yet. Mm. And I think that's why you can see that's re reflected in the polling and you can see that reflected in how uh, the people that we need to turn out to vote in order to get an insane racist out of the White House, how they're responding to the debates. I think that that's the thing that we hope that I hope that we see, especially going through the smaller debate mm -hmm. uh, in, in the future, that we get clear, concise reasons for why they're doing it and how they're going to do the things that we need to, them to do. Mm -hmm. That's what we should be talking about. I'm not really interested in the personality right now. Mm -hmm. We know what we're up against. We have to put someone forth that can do that, can beat that person. But we can't do that in lieu of putting someone that's going to actually get us to the places we need to be as far as governing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think it's well said. Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, what, what are the folks in Ithaca saying? <laughs> Ithaca is extraordinarily... I mean, I, I'll tell you this, and I'll just be very candid with you in front of this microphone, that my constituents, every one of them, is above average and very good-looking and uh, <laughs> very smart and very nice. And I don't mind if you tell them I said that. Uh <laughs> but they're, they're actually unique in a few ways in that we, are, we have uh, the most educated city in the world. We have more degrees and advanced degrees uh, than any place else on the planet. 
we are more politically involved than any other city. Uh, we gave more to Bernie Sanders in 2016 uh, per capita than any other place. And he ended up winning like three to one, which was tough because I was actually a Hillary Clinton delegate and a super fan since I was 13. And she came to my, you know, the most famous woman in the world, came to my small town of 800 people, said she wanted to be our senator. I was very skeptical. I was like this, you know, she's just bombing in here from wherever. But it turned out she was just an excellent public servant. She was just very good at it. She cared about people. She followed through. So I became a fan. Now, you know, it's still Bernie land. It really still is. I would say mm -hmm. about half the folks are are still Bernie or bust. But uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, Mayor Pete fans mm -hmm. and a lot of Liz Warren fans, a lot of folks who, who like uh, what Liz Warren's been fighting for really for the last 20 years and have been impressed by Mayor Pete's not just his erudition, but the contrast he presents as a war veteran uh, as opposed to somebody who faked a disability to get out of fighting in a war, uh, as a, as a young Rhodes scholar, as opposed to somebody who's, you know, proudly anti-intellectual. I think those three seem to be the front runners in, in my city right now. And then I guess the opposite question to you, who do you think is giving the best, most compelling case for why they're running for president? Um, well, Bernie knows what he's about, you know, I mean, there's no, question i think we could all we, we could all give a stump speech now which means that you know we we believe the millionaires and the billionaires have an un, you know <laughs> they've been rigging the economy and you got to throw your arms up yeah, yeah. for years they've been rigging the economy <laughs> right so he knows why he's in this um i think uh liz knows why she's in this too right she knows that it's getting harder for american families but there's no reason it has to be this hard Right, that there are structural changes we can make to the economy. She, she believes she's got plans to fix it. And I think Mayor Pete also knows, look, I think the one thing all 24 of them are in the race for is that all 24 of them think they can win. Right? They, they, and they think that's rationale enough, that like I can win and therefore that's why you should nominate me. Mm. It, that's a tough thing to prove because, uh, because you've got to win to prove you can win. So right. yeah, so we'll see. So in Baltimore, um, there's a, there's a big question, uh, debate question going on within this primary. And it basically goes along the lines of, do you want to, do you want to support someone who is aligned with you ideologically, or is it more important that the person can beat Trump? What are you hearing from folks in Baltimore? What's more important to them that this, that the candidates are with them on all the issues, or is it more important that they, that the, that the person can beat Donald Trump in the general? Well, I think first uh, first and foremost, right now, we're in a current war with the president, as you know. So I spent my last week uh, debating the president, calling him racist, and pointing out the fact that instead of beating down an American city and trying to uh, gain political points with his base, uh, beating down our congressman, he could do something as the president of the United States. We have a list of things that we ask the federal government for help with all the time that He's refused to do, that they refuse to do. So right now, the conversation is really centered around getting Donald Trump out of office. But when you remove the events of the last week, it's mixed. Uh, there are people in the city, and you know Baltimore is a very diverse city, and, and way of thought, the way people live, how much money they make. Uh, we have all ends of the spectrum. There are some people who, you know, like my brother, is Bernie a bust? And I said, well, when you bust, where are you going to live? <laughs> mm -hmm. And then there are folks who say, well, we just have to put forth the person that can win. And then there are folks like me who say, I want someone that can win, 
but I want someone that can govern and it will govern with the things that I believe in and the things that I know that the people that live in my city need from their federal government. And I think what's going to happen is that now the cream is going to start to rise mm. and people are going to start paying. And that's the other thing. A lot of people aren't paying attention yet. Mm. They look, I had a, a young man said to me the other day that I'm not watching a debate that has more members than the Wu-Tang Clan. I'm just not doing it. <laughs> just not doing it. He says some of them had no business being on the stage. Mm. And this is a young man who's very politically involved. And I think that once they start to dwindle down, people will start to hone in. Because they're going to want to know what they're going to do. This is going to be different than any other presidential election. Yes, it's going to be about the insane orange tangerine man. <laughs> but it's also going to be very much about issues that people care about. It's not just going to be the party rep. It's not going to be that. People want to know that everything that we've been through since he got into office, people want to know how you're going to correct that but also correct all the other things that happened before. Mm -hmm. So what are one or two issues that Baltimore folks really care about that maybe aren't getting enough attention on the national stage? Well, I pointed one out to the, to the press and CNN last week when Trump went on this tirade. This president has been touting that he's going to transform America through a new infrastructure program that's going to help rebuild American cities since he was campaigning. Hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. And for us and for legacy cities mm -hmm. who have billions of dollars of infrastructure needs on bridges, roads, water that were all built with federal dollars, that will be transformational, not just because it's going to help us physically rebuild our city, but I have people in East and West Baltimore who could get those jobs mm -hmm. and that would be life-changing careers for them and their family, much like when my grandfather came and worked at General Motors. Those are the kind of things that people want to hear about. Student loan debt, mm. right? Mm. They want to hear about that. Yeah. And I live in an African-American city. If any presidential candidate comes to Baltimore and they don't say the word reparations, <laughs> they're going to be laughed at. Mm. That's what they want to hear about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mayor, um, what's the hardest thing about being a candidate for office? Huh. That's a good question. The hardest thing about being a candidate? Raising money. Um, yeah, yeah. I think raising money is tough. Uh, it's gotten easier since 2016. It's the I most think annoying. But. It is the most <laughs> annoying. I, you know, before 2016, you often had a lot of explaining to do, right? You know, you always had to say, "This is why we need money for a campaign. This is why campaigns are important. This is why government matters." Uh, folks are awake now. You know, they're they're energized. They they recognize what we do, which is that in an instant, the wrong person in office can change air quality regulations, right? And allow polluters in West Virginia uh, to give asthma, asthma like I have, to uh, hundreds of thousands of kids hmm. in West Virginia with, with the stroke of a pen, right? They know uh, that this matters now. So the fundraising has become easier. I think the hardest thing um, is repeating yourself. Honestly, uh, the uh, when I first ran for office, I had seven opponents, and this is when I first ran for mayor. We had twenty six debates, and uh, I knocked on the door of every Ithacan uh, three times. Right, so I quit my job about four months before the election and just started uh, canvassing. And you start to feel you can start to feel at the end of all of that like a robot. Every mm -hmm. time somebody asks you what's your plan for infrastructure, 
you want to say, look, I said it 16 times right. today. Do message really discipline is what message you're discipline, about. exactly. Yep. And the temptation to try and spice up your message, change, change it, it exactly, right. yeah. is uh, is very challenging. So I say, as a candidate, not just you know campaign mechanics, uh, all of which are important, but as a candidate, that message discipline and repeating yourself often is the hardest thing. Uh, as, as see, for example, Joe Biden. Yeah. Do you think that holds for both being black men? I would imagine there are unique challenges to being people of color and running for office. Mm-hmm. I absolutely. I was the first black person to ever hold my seat mm-hmm. in Baltimore, and I was elected in 2011. That's mm-hmm. shocking. And yes, and I didn't realize it until after that. And then I. Often, you talking about the position of president? No, president. The actual seat, the my, city my, council seat, my former yeah. council district okay. seat. Yes, mm-hmm. the first black person to hold it, mm-hmm. and actually, my replacement is the first woman to hold it. Wow. Um, but, but even in Baltimore. It does. It's different. And being young and black, Mm -hmm. I had to deal with, I'm young and I'm black, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing, despite I had spent four years actually writing legislation for my predecessor and every other person in in office. And two, I am black. And in a city like Baltimore, which is the birthplace of redlining through policy and one of the most inequitable cities in the country, even we have to overcome so much more. And it's difficult when I'm asking for money. It's difficult when my one of my white colleagues can say the same sentence that I can say on TV and people won't respond to it. Mm-hmm. But I know when I open my mouth that I'm going to be speaking for an entire generation of people, an entire race of people every time. And you just have to – I revel in that. that yeah. To me, yeah. that's the easy part. The hard part for me is when I can't help, mm-hmm. when that young man dies – and I couldn't get to him. Yeah. Or I can't help someone not lose their home. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part for me. Because you feel it personally. Yeah, I feel it personally. When you grow up in it, I got involved in this because I grew up in a neighborhood where people died and got shot all the time, mm-hmm. right? And when you have friends that lose their lives and when you are the victim of crime yourself, when you see that, it changes you. Mm-hmm. It puts you in a place of humility that no book, no degree can ever take you. And you'll never forget that. And you never forget how it felt to be outside and just have to jump in the bushes, right? And when you see someone get shot and bleeding and laying on a on a uh, gurney, it never leaves you. Mm-hmm. When you have to speak, the hardest thing that I've done in my elected life without question mm-hmm. is speaking at the funerals of kids. Mm-hmm. When you see little caskets, that never leaves you. That stuff never leaves you. Those are the hard days. But they're also the days that will push you to be better. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's. I, I think there's no question that what is it's a different expectation. I knew in my campaign that I couldn't raise as much money as my opponents. I had to raise more. I couldn't submit as many petition signatures as my opponents. I had to submit twice as many. I couldn't knock on as many doors as my opponents. I had to knock on twice as many. Right. You have yeah. to do more just to be judged by the same standard because folks are looking for twice as much a confirmation of their bias. Right. But then something beautiful happened. You know, when I first got elected. Um, this woman <clears throat> who I worked with in City Hall told me that her, she's a white woman, she's raising a black son. He's 15 years old. And she said that he'd gotten in the elevator in City Hall to come up and see her. And an older woman got on the elevator with him and said, hey, it's a 15-year-old kid. She said, hey, are you the new mayor? Are you that new mayor? And <laughs> she told the story. I was like, Sue, I don't look like I'm 15. Like, that's rude. <laughs> and she goes, no, you don't understand. He's been mistaken for a lot of things before, right? He's had people 
follow him around the store because they thought he was going to steal something. He's had people get off the elevator when he got on because they thought he was a threat. And this is the first time he was mistaken for a figure of authority. Wow. And that it had changed the way he felt mm. about himself. She could see just in the, in the time it took to walk from that elevator into her office that he had gained a confidence he could carry into his first job interview or the first time he asked somebody out on a date or applied for college. And, and I think that's why representation really matters. And what President Obama and his family did that changed forever the image of blackness in America in a way that I think is hard to grapple with and fully appreciate mm -hmm. in our time. I think, too, that's why it's so important that we elect a woman uh, to be president, because 51% of the population has never seen that reflection of, of ultimate authority. Um, they've never seen themselves in that. You know, my little sister has never seen. And my little sister, who is, uh, you know, has more leadership qualities than I've ever had, but was instead just called bossy and bitchy and pushy mm -hmm. when we were kids. Mm -hmm. And people instead were like, oh, Samantha, right. you're really authoritative, but Schluter, you really need to be less pushy. Yeah. Uh, you know, we really need to flip that on its head in the same way that President Obama has begun to shift the implicit biases around blackness. We're going to do a quick one minute uh, lightning round. I'm going to ask you guys a couple questions and um, you have to answer. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you can say no comment. Who's going to win Maryland in the primary? Ooh. Yeah. It's a good question. Um... It's going to be either Kamala or Liz. It's a dead heat in my opinion right now. Are you going to run for governor? <laughs> uh, At some point. <laughs> uh, I love New York State. I, I love upstate New York, and I feel like we could do a better job of having a government that reflects our people. And uh, my dream job right now is mayor. But uh, uh, I don't know. Is this, a, is this a long enough way of saying no comment yet? <laughs> uh, no comment, I guess. Uh, who's going to win New York? Yeah. Great question. I have no idea. I really mm -hmm. don't. I, I, if I, were, I had to bet, I would say Senator Warren or Senator Harris. Who do you think should drop out of the race? I have a list. You have a list. Let's start. Yes. Okay. Want to That's definitely longer than a sixty-second lightning round. I know. I have. I would trade up. I would roll up like nine of these dudes and trade them for one Sherrod Brown. So like. Um. So who? Bennett, Hickenlooper, Ryan. Um, roll them all up. You know, and honestly, and anybody who could be running in a competitive state for the for the Senate right now should be doing that. Mm. Beto, who I love, should be taking on Cornyn right now. Hickenlooper should be running for the Senate. Um. I, I think that's where we would succeed. Bullock, you know, Bullock who's done a great job of winning in Montana, should be running for the U.S. Senate there. Yeah, I'm going to go a little further. I think we need <laughs> to narrow it down a lot faster than I think that we should move to having the people that we know are going to be there in the end, right? Who's that? Joe, Harris, Warren, Bernie. I hate to say it. I put Corey in. I put Corey in. Debatable. <laughs> I will be fine with just those, yeah. but I'll give you again give you Senator Booker and and, and Mayor Pete yeah. for kicks. Everyone else, <laughs> bye bye. We need to focus on the task at hand, mm. and every minute that we look like this wide stage view, right. and we have to spend all this energy, we should be harnessing policies into the best practices, people. 
should be running for other offices, figuring out other ways to help us mm -hmm. obtain the ultimate goals, putting the best person in the presidency that can not only beat Donald Trump, but that can also move America in the way that we need to go. Mm -hmm. And we can't, we're not going to get that with all of these people. Is there anyone not running? He just mentioned Sherrod Brown. Is there anyone not running that you wish was running for president? Nope, because if they don't, if they don't have it in their heart or the carriage to put themselves forward, I don't want to. It's true. I, I would add just one name though. It was Michelle Obama. Well, <laughs> we could just cancel all future elections, but she's Michelle, not going to do it. So you're right, you're what right. about Oprah? Well, Oprah. Yeah, I, I'd vote for Oprah. Look, here's how I feel about Oprah: is people are like, well, we don't need another celebrity president. And to that, I think it depends how you became a celebrity, right? If you became a celebrity by, by pretending to be a businessman, <laughs> maybe not. But if you became a president because you connected on a personal and emotional level with millions of Americans every day while building a self-made business empire that is now worth more than a billion dollars, yeah, I'd put you in charge of something, right? Like I, that, that could be a person that could lead our country. Oprah started as a TV reporter in saying. Baltimore, so maybe one day you could yes. be the presidential candidate, <laughs> ma'am. Think about the socialist label she'd get, giving away all that free stuff on her shows. You, know? <laughs> you get, you get a free car. And you get some health care. And you yeah. get some health care. And you get a college. Uh, Mr. City Council President, anything uh, you want to tell us about your future plans? Uh, what can we expect from you? <laughs> oh, this is the easy one. Uh, you can expect Brandon Scott to always uh, be in service to my city. Uh, you can expect me always to want to help push our country in a better way. And one day I'll run for a higher office. That'll happen. That that time will come uh, very soon or very far. But what you can never and what you will never get from me is that I'll put myself over Baltimore. It will never be Brandon over Baltimore. Baltimore will always win to the point when I... I released my policy document the other day. I made my staff change it. They had my name before the city seal. I mm -hmm. said, nope. City seal goes first. Hmm. That's what you can expect from me. I will always be the person looking to build up the team, passing the baton. When I came onto the city council, it was two of us under the age of 40, and now there's nine. Wow. So that's what you can expect from me, pushing the envelope, saying the things that no one else will say, doing the things that no one else will do, going to places that no one else will go, and be unabashed in doing it, you know, from – Wearing a cap in New Jersey or marching to D.C. Mm -hmm. from Baltimore physically. Whatever what has to be done to raise the level of attention to make my city a better place is what I'll do. And if that means stepping aside, I'll do that. Mm. Talk about good message discipline. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, well, I expect to vote for you sometime. And that means you're going to have to run statewide because I don't live in Baltimore City. Well, you, so I'm looking you, forward to you that. You kind of missed that opportunity last year, but that's another. We'll have that well, conversation. He could have been, been lieutenant governor, governor, candidate governor last year. Oh, that's okay. And a great It'll happen again. Yeah. <laughs> it will happen again. Um, to you, Mr. Mayor, anything we can expect? Well, I kind of asked you that question. I, I don't want to jam you up again on that. Um, but anything you want to? Well, I'll just say that I really appreciate you being here during the Young Elected Officials Network. It's yeah. been my pleasure, my privilege to lead this network for the last two years. We've built uh, uh, nationwide. We're in all 50 states. We have 1,300 progressive leaders who believe that it's important to carry while we climb. That, you know, we uh, there, there's a couple, three members of our network are running for president now. We've got 12 members of Congress. Uh, we have three statewide elected officials. Uh, there are several presidents in our ranks, and we just want to be here to support them. So I I love my work in the city of Ithaca. Uh, I'm obsessed with potholes and sidewalks and street repair and housing. 
but it also feels good to know that we can make this national impact by working with people like Brandon, who, ladies and gentlemen, in the three years I've known Brandon, there's not a more focused elected official in the country. You could wake him up out of a dead sleep at 3 a.m. and say, <laughs> how much money did you spend on as we did this effort to, um, to pressure gun manufacturers, right? Uh, to increase their safety standards and to not sell to stores that uh, end up uh, being used disproportionately in acts of gun violence, we figured out, you know what, we actually spend quite a lot of money, right? We, my police department, the Baltimore Police Department, buys a lot of guns, buys a lot of bullets. And so therefore, we should be valued customers. So we banded together with Baltimore and a few other cities and states to pressure those manufacturers and say, look, whoever has the highest standards is who's going to get our business, right? So I called Brandon at 11 o'clock at night and I said, how much are you spending on bullets? He goes, I'll get back to you in two minutes. And he, two minutes later, he, he knew it. So this is this is the kind of leadership we're seeing across the country that gives me great confidence. And I'm just thrilled that you're down here in Miami with us to meet some of these folks uh, and to give them a platform. I really appreciate it. This has been an honor for both of us. You guys yeah, are thank strong, you guys. Thank you. strong role models. Not just for African-American uh, young men and women, but for everyone. And uh, I'm going to be uh, watching you go up the ladder. Appreciate it, man. And, uh, I, you know, I think the sky's the limit for both of y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank, so, thank you, guys. Thank, thank you for nice taking the time. Of course. To the city, Baltimore City Council President Brandon Scott, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. And to the mayor of Ithaca, a town that I love mm-hmm. almost as much as I love the state of Maryland. Uh, Savante Myrick, thank you, buddy. I thank look you. forward to covering your gubernatorial race. <laughs> she, <laughs> Didn't I say no comment? I thought I said no comment. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Lexi, so let's take a little break and we'll uh, be right back. Sounds good.